but I think the preparation for anyone, more is better. But you can think that to a point where you can think yourself out of it. Mm. Uh, talking ourselves out of things is, is quite easy to do. So I think for anyone who's considering anything, hiking, biking, canoeing, kayaking, and I'm thinking obviously of outdoor activities, I think there's that reality of just do it. Just get out there and try it. If it's hiking, hike, go around your block for a day. And if you say, gosh, I would never want to do that again, don't. But if you said, gosh, I made it around the block in five minutes, and most people who might listen to this that would be the case. They would find, oh, it's really not that hard. It is truly put one foot in front of the other. Very much like life. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to Episode 7 of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that looks at life as though it were a journey, a linear, sometimes non-linear path with seasons and changes and always the potential for growth. This week's guest is definitely a jack-of-all-trades, and we talk about that. It's Jeffrey Herring, who is a financial advisor. He is also a nurse, as well as a beekeeper. He also loves kayaking. In other words, he does a great many number of things. And at any given day, it's hard to define what hat he he is wearing at that moment. And again, that comes up on the podcast. But this episode, we talk specifically about an adventure that is coming up in the horizon for him. He has a swath of time and an opportunity to hike on the Appalachian Trail for about a month's time. Now, if you know about the Appalachian Trail, you know that there are certain people that hike the entire thing, which takes thousands of miles and often six, seven, eight months. It's a trail that runs across America from Georgia to Maine. Now, his intention is to hike essentially from Georgia to Tennessee. But this is still quite the journey, this trek. And another very interesting aspect of this is that this is not a high school student that just graduated or someone that just got out of college. This is a guy in his 50s that has a family, kids, a wife, and lots of projects that he's involved in, a a very vibrant working life. And yet he has this opportunity for what is truly a journey. So that's what we talk about. We talk about this path that he's about to walk. We talk about the things that he hopes to gain and many, many more topics. If you're enjoying this project and you want to support it right now, the best way to do that is to write a review on whatever platform you're on. That is just so greatly appreciated. But as always, listening is so greatly appreciated. And if you would like to financially support this work with the costs required, you can always go to epicordinarylives.com. And at the top of each episode page is an Amazon banner. If you click on that, it takes you directly to Amazon. So if you are already doing shopping on Amazon, this will allow you to purchase what you normally would. And whatever you spend, I get a little bit back. So in other words, it's no additional costs to you. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, go to epicordinarylives.com slash subscribe. There are links for whatever platform you might be listening on. Other than that, I hope you enjoy this very interesting conversation with my friend Jeffrey Herring here on Epic Ordinary Lives. One of the topics that continually comes up in this podcast is that of multi-hyphenate people. 
people that have a smorgasbord of interests, skill sets, activities. And I have in front of me today somebody that I would consider one of the most multi-hyphenate people that I know. So who are you sitting in front of me today? Well, literally, by name, Jeffrey Robert Burns Herring, obviously, four names. I've never known all four names, by the way. Four names, named for writers, named first after Chaucer, Jeffrey Chaucer, Mm -hmm. of Canterbury Tales fame, Robert Burns, Robert Herring, my father. Now, it's coincidental, or probably not, that Robert is my father's first name. Burns is my mother's maiden name. So you can piece together that my father is a writer, and then you can discern for yourself, am I named for writers, or am I just named? I don't know if we'll ever answer that question. I'm certain I have never received the answer to that question. Completely. For context, what do you do, Jeffrey Robert Burns Herring? I do many things. I like to consider myself a person who helps other people try to make better decisions frequently about life or things that would affect their lives. Some in the context of financial services, some in the broader context of just truly life decisions. Functionally, some of my clients think of me as a financial advisor or financial planner. I wear many hats from both an education perspective and a practical perspective. So educationally speaking, bachelor's degrees, biology, nursing, economics and finance, master's degrees, economics and finance. I am a registered nurse. I still teach occasionally finance courses at the local university. So obviously there is a varied, widely so, background, at least in terms of things I've done. It's clearly to others to discern, am I gifted at such, or are this fall into the right place at the right time for those things that I like to do? And certainly I like to do all of the above. And I still function as a registered nurse at least one day a week for two to three hours on that given day. For obvious reasons, one, uh, no tongue-in-cheek, but maybe there otherwise, to keep the state of Tennessee happy so that I can retain that license. The majority of my time is spent usually with individuals, occasionally with groups, but generally with individuals talking about things that would affect their financial welfare, whether that be retirement planning, the effects of choosing the right insurance product to solve a solution, helping people of all ages who have children or grandchildren plan for their legacy, could be in the form of education, could be truly, quote, estate planning. There are many cliche phrases, I I believe, in the industry that make things sound very, very impressive, when in fact, they're quite simple. In fact, I would say sometimes the hardest part of any solution is educating your prospective client so that they can make a very good well-thought-out, informed decision so that they own it, as opposed to presenting a product that simply says, here's the widget, here's what it does, do you want it? The gifted salesperson might be able to do the latter. I unfortunately don't suffer from the element of being the gifted salesperson, so I tend to overly educate, sometimes to the point that the client may not be able to make the decision they need to make in the moment because they have received more information than they might have ever thought they would receive. Right, more than they bargained for. But in the end, I I like to think I have done my service, which is give them all so that they can truly make, when they're ready to make, a good decision. And that's whether that's healthcare, finance, insurance, riding a bicycle, kayaking, those things that I love to Raising do. bees. Raising bees, chasing children, uh, reading to children at school, whatever the, wherever I am at the moment. And it is certainly, to use your multi-hyphenate pre-introduction to who I might be, uh, certainly it is widely varied as to what I am doing at any given moment. And it makes me remember when I was a kid and I heard the phrase, 
jack of all trades, master of none, which I think is supposed to be a negative connotation towards Renaissance people. But as a kid, I always loved the idea of that, of the person that perhaps it's because my personality type is one that I resist being limited by any particular single hyphen that I really aspire to be a type of person like you, who, if we can review what you said, is a financial advisor, teacher, nurse, bee raiser, reader of books. To ch- we, we covered a great many things, but one of your interests right now is a potential quest that is coming up in the distance. So what? let's talk about that. What is your journey that you're possibly about to embark on? Sure. I have for some time wanted to hike longer uh, escapades, if you will, than I have in the past. My son graduating from high school as a catalyst to allow me to entertain a three or 400 mile stretch of the Appalachian Trail. So compared to those who are through hikers, it is insignificant. To those who are couch potatoes, such as I can be from time to time, it is significant. To do it with my son, obviously, upon his graduation from high school, is just a a luxury that I must afford myself the time because time is all we have and it gets by so quickly. So I have anxiously looked forward to this opportunity and hope that it will come to fruition I have learned in the latter part of the final stages, if you will, of preparation for this, that teenagers can throw the curveballs into the plans without question. They certainly have their own thoughts about what they want to do, particularly after they graduate and turn 18. But the hike is certainly still on the schedule, a little adjustment for scheduling purposes, but we still hope to hike anywhere from 170 miles to 300, I think 340 miles starting in Georgia, ending up in Tennessee, ideally ending up where my son will go to school. Many reasons behind that that I think he would learn that that was a great story to be able to tell. I can just foresee how that would be such. I just walked 300 miles to college. Yes. And I'm purely thinking if some other young person... Some other young lady might walk up and say, do you like to hike? What a great story he'd have to tell. Yeah, I can't imagine a better pickup line than I just walked here from Georgia. Georgia. So that, And just to give folks context, the Appalachian Trail, do you remember how many thousands of miles it is? It is. The trail, although it varies from year to year because sections are, are moved, roughly 2,200 from Georgia to Maine. To Maine. Uh, it, if the through hiking that you mentioned, for those that might not know, that's when someone starts in Georgia. They spend typically between five and seven months. I would, would you say that that's often? That's safe. Six months would be a good trek. Uh, seven would be more comfortable. Uh, five, you'd start to need to be in better shape than the six monther. Uh, I know people who've done it in 90 days. And they're obviously moving uh, not at a snail's pace, as you might imagine. So it can be done as you allow it to be done. There are obviously limitations. I mean, your body can only do so much. Uh, We were originally planning to do 19 miles a day, which at first to me didn't sound like it was a huge stretch, but a stretch. We were quickly told because the southern tip of the Appalachian Trail is one of the two hardest sections of trails in America to hike. And not having hiked that to prove it or validate someone else's <laughs> statement, I was, however, quite encouraged to reconsider the first 80 miles because it is uphill and downhill and uphill and downhill. And on the measures of hiking scales, it is by the adjustment in Elevation changes. Right. I'm trying to think how to best say that. But your elevation changes are measurable, truly the ups and downs, not the plateaus. So the dramatic degree of terrain that you're going to be working with right from the get-go, right out the the drop, that would be, an especially if you can't train here under those kind of specific circumstances. And training, interestingly enough, the statistics that are out there, which (laughs) I, I really don't love statistics, but they 
give you a benchmark to measure to serve a by. purpose. Yep. And they said less than two percent of the registered through hikers of the Appalachian Trail actually attest to really vigorously training. The vast majority are people who almost get up on Friday morning and say, hey, you know, I don't have anything to do for the next six months and hit the trail. And wow. they make it, surprisingly enough. Probably not quite that short-term notice, but some who literally, they're not, they're not much more than a couch potato. And they are like, I think most, including me, it, although I clearly have a catalyst, my son's graduation and that opportunity, there, there's an opportunity to learn something about yourself, your stamina maybe, your intestinal fortitude, to gain perspective on something that you can't put your thumb on, but you know there's something about life that you want, you want perspective on it. And now you're saying, you're thinking for me, okay, is two weeks or four weeks or 200 miles or 400 miles, whatever that might be, and each to his own, right? The two-mile hike that's straight up is 10 times more strenuous than the 2,000-mile hike that's straight, that's level. Right. Uh, so great respect to anybody who gets out and does any of it. But I think we're all looking for something different, something from which we can't clearly define that end goal. It's not a place. Mm. It's not a tangible. And I would like to think that hiking 100 miles or 300 miles or 400 miles, whatever that might be, that there would be something else that I would gain from that experience other than some really sore feet. <laughs> uh, cartilage, perhaps a little bit less cartilage. Right. Uh, ortho orthopedic surgeon, job security, because uh, certainly I'm certain that they love people. Yes, please, do. please yeah. set out on this. Yes. Well, and that's a huge... So this podcast is called Epic Ordinary Lives, and one of the things that we often talk about is the hero's journey, right? The Joseph Campbell notion that we are every story that is told is in some way getting at this invincible story of the person who sets out for exactly like you say, essentially to grow. But this, you mentioned that hiking and especially long distance hiking has been something that you've kind of always thought about, or you've thought about for a long time. So what is the origin story kind of, of you and being in the woods and even especially the dream of doing something like this? Right. And, and you can even tie that question even to the Appalachian trail specifically. I can't, necessarily define the origin, but I can give bullet points that would tie me to the quest. Sure. Uh, my father was a trail guide as a teenager in the in the uh, Appalachian area. Wow. In the Appalachian Mountains, in the Smokies specifically. So there's a tie there. Grew up uh, while he was working on his doctorate at the University of Tennessee. And on the weekends, we were in the Smokies. Uh, love hiking. Just love being outdoors. So you take dad's history, uh, you take that youthful memory of nothing but good. I don't remember, for instance, one of the fear factors that people talk about when you're hiking or two people who are about to hike is, oh, do you think you'll encounter bears? Well, I encountered bears as a child and I, I just remember them as big toys. So my memory is that. So I don't have this fear of anything out there. I just have the good memories. So part of that quest might be to just recapture some of those youthful memories as well. Dad passed away 13 years ago this month. And I'm certain that uh, the quest is to fulfill memories, to create memories, to test my ability to complete a journey mm. that in and of itself is finite a linear very much so it is there's a there's a clearly defined beginning mm -hmm. and an end to that specific journey but i'd like to think that what you gain from that experience has no boundaries time or otherwise i remember being young and reading the lord of the rings when yes. i was in like middle school or something and you you read that and you go man you know, especially I lived in rural Tennessee where you could kind of do this, although you did have to be careful and wear an orange vest when you walked out in your backyard yes. so you didn't get mistaken <laughs> for a deer as someone was hunting. But 
you this notion of this quest of this i am trying to forget the notion that you're trying to throw a ring into a volcano or whatever the specifics are there is something intoxicating right like you talk about of we are headed here and and until i'm done my quest is not done and in life it seems that our our quests are, are to make it to Friday often, or to get through this project, or if you're in college or school, to get through this semester or this test or this challenging period. But there just seems something so pure, especially in our age now of telephones constantly blinging us for texts, emails, we're hyper-connected, and yet the, the ability to set out on this, like you said, clearly definable beginning, middle, and end, and also you're in the woods. What a combination there. Certainly, and you know, I'd add to that one thing that I think a lot of people miss as they think about, oh, you're going to go hiking. They miss the absence of what you alluded to, technologically speaking. Mm-hmm which is something I believe I'd like to think 100% of us would love to lose occasionally. Well, certainly you're so remote, the ability to have technology along, although it does exist, it, it is a challenge for it to be practical. It may be that reason alone that many people choose or let that be part of their reasoning to be disconnected so that they can, in fact, connect. Because what we're told about those experiences, specifically the hiking, that's what I'm referring to, is that you will meet people that you will absolutely connect with in ways that you cannot imagine and almost that you really couldn't on the street, per se. Because on the street, when we're living life, as most of us do, Time is such a precious commodity, and to pass someone and even think about taking time to say, hi, how are you? It just doesn't ever cross our mind. I mean, the rare is the person for whom that crosses their mind. So here, you have the absence of 21st century life. Therefore, when you pass someone, one, it is a rare thing, mm. and it is an opportunity to engage that person. So much as one example, one of the gentlemen that I admire, Jerry, who works at REI, takes a notebook, and he does this for two reasons. He does it for the practical reason. When he passes someone, people have a trail name, mm -hmm. and obviously someone must give you your trail name, but you also have a real name. Jerry makes, and to the extent that he's capable of doing so, he wants everyone's real name. And then he wants their trail name if they've been given such. And he does that, one, because he wants to just record that in his log, if you will, for his memory, particularly if it's someone that he spends five minutes with or a day with, both of which are very likely on the Appalachian Trail. Equally as important, and bringing it back to that reality of life, he does that so that should something happen, he has had that opportunity where he has been asked, have you passed anyone? Ah, uh, yeah. And he can say, well... Practicality Right, of the practical side of it. Yes, I, in fact, passed. Uh, and he said, the reasons aren't always dire, but things happen in, in the real world while you're on the Appalachian Trail. Life doesn't stop. And that's that's probably a reality, a true perspective that I will have that opportunity to validate to leave reality and come back two weeks later or two months later, whatever that time frame is, and realize that hey, the world does not revolve around me. It does not mm -hmm. stop for me. Great experience, great reality. And what a peace, peaceful thought that can be, ironically, perhaps, to not be so grand. It's like those moments when you, you can get to a place where you can see the stars at night. You might have to get away from where you live if you live with a lot of streetlights, but there can be that sense of regardless of whatever challenges I'm going through right now, there's big stuff. Now, and however you define that for whatever Certainly. your faith path, whatever that is, but some somebody might be listening right now and they might go, you know, I have no interest in, in why would someone want to, to do what you're describing? But I think we can all understand without even if specifically this is not their path the notion of a journey to grow and also the component of going with your son i mean what what a what an interesting pilgrimage in a lot of ways this is 
but you work a lot and you wear many hats. We've established that. And it's got to be hard to prepare for something like this. You know, this will be a grueling thing, even if this is not a through hike. So how have you handled that? You know, you mentioned the statistic that, uh, what was it? 2% of people have a true intentional effort at preparation. Where, where do you fall on that spectrum and how did you pull that off? Unless it was, I have literally no training and, but somebody might be listening, thinking of their own version of this and they go, yeah, but I've got, I've got kids. Um, I'm not young anymore. I'm not 20, uh, meaning no negative thing towards you, but you're in your fifties right now. That makes this even more impressive and universal an experience. So what would you speak to that? You know, there's a cliche phrase that also has uh, some marketing values to a certain company, but it's just the just do it phrase. And I think people who think about anything even close to this, and I think many people do think about things close to this, the challenge is they don't choose to act. It is so easy to become a couch potato and to think about what you can do. The answer to your first question, though, is what have I done? Uh, Very little three or four or five mile hikes around the neighborhood. I have a couple, couple more planning that are more relevant hikes where I will actually wear a pack, things that I really should do more of and that anyone who's done any hiking knows that that would be the case. But I do accept that I am, as I stand today, able to do it. I think the challenge will be you know, in the middle of the night when my knees hurt or my shoulders hurt or right. my hips hurt or whatever, and just working through it out there. But I think the preparation for anyone, more is better, but you can think that to a point where you can think yourself out of it. Mm. Uh, talking ourselves out of things is, is quite easy to do. So I think for anyone who's considering anything, hiking, biking, canoeing, kayaking, and I'm thinking, obviously, of outdoor activities. I think there's that reality of just do it. Just get out there and try it. If it's hiking, hike, go around your block for a day. And if you say, gosh, I would never want to do that again, don't. But if you said, gosh, I made it around the block in five minutes, and most people who might listen to this, that would be the case. They would find, oh, it's really not that hard. It is truly put one foot in front of the other. Very much like life. You got to get up and you got to do stuff. So I think training could be exaggerated, but thinking through what I might experience might be more important. So physically, I need to be okay knowing what I might encounter, like no water, no food, those things. Those are things that I have given much more thought to than actually preparing myself physically for the event. And uh, based on people with whom I visited who have hiked much of the Appalachian Trail or through hiked or hiked anywhere for that matter, where they've been on two plus day treks where there are no provisions provided. Mm. They have certainly thought through what must I carry knowing that the next water hole is three days away. Uh, So I've got to be able to treat that water. I've got to be able to eat between now and then. Those things that we absolutely in America certainly take for granted. There's a faucet right there. There's a there's a porcelain throne. Those things that we just absolutely take for granted, let me assure you, they are not just out there on the trail. So you've got to think through that aspect. But physically demanding your body, I think, will let you know when to stop. In fact, probably the best advice that I was given uh, was when your body tells you to stop, stop. If it's a mile in the first day, pitch your tent rest your body, get up the next day, do it again. If it's a mile the next day, what you have to accept is, okay, the trek is, instead of it being two weeks to complete it, I might need two months. Uh, Or conversely, instead of 19 miles a day, I might need to do 28 miles a day. And then the reality would be, okay, the trek has to be modified. Mm -hmm. But like life, we have to be able to change on a dime. The only constant in life is change. So I don't think that negates Appalachian Trail hiking. So I think uh, any preparation is better than none. Again, many people who have through-hiked, and that's a heck of a statement to say you've through-hiked the Appalachian Trail. I would just be proud of myself to be able to make that statement. Uh, But many who have done such, 
their preparation was limited. Those who are on the other extreme, I know few of those who were avid hikers, big planners. Most people I know, they really were not true hikers. They just became a hiker as a result of that experience. Yeah, I think I've heard the quote, have your own hike. Have your own experience with this. And that that can apply, of course, very broadly, as can what you're saying. Don't compare yourself to other people. But as what you're saying about sometimes just do it, we can talk ourselves out of, you know, this could apply to dating or to taking a new yoga class or something, whether it's physical or not. You're 100% right that there is massive power. The way I always try to define it is if we, if we're worried, often fear, right, is, is a huge component. And I, I want to ask you, you've kind of mentioned what you're afraid of with this or what your concerns are. That's going to be the next question is what, what else have you not spoken about that is a, a fear? But I think, uh, people can talk themselves out of situations if, Success is defined as a very clear binary thing. So what you mentioned, I have to hike from here to here in this many number of days or it's a failure. Well, that means if you have to edit it and modify it, there's not much room for happiness there because success is so clearly defined. Much in the same way that if you ask the person out at the bookstore that you go to a lot, if success is defined as them saying yes, well, that's again, that's binary. But what if success is just if you have enough guts to ask, if you have enough guts to get on the trail, obviously doing the correct homework that you're talking about to not end up in a <laughs> dangerous situation, not asking someone who's creepy, perhaps. But what if success is just doing it? What if that is success? I think that is. I mean, I think you couldn't make the statement better than that. And I think we lose sight of that so often. The person who hits the trail, as far as I'm concerned, whether they hit it and physically realize they just, they cannot do it. Their success, though, is in that they hit the trail to the person who hikes half of it when their goal was to do a through hike. They still did 1,100 miles. So I think you're right. I think we lose sight when we define success in very modern terms, mm. very black and white, very finite. You make 50,000, I make 100, therefore I'm successful and you're a failure. I did 2,200 miles, you only did 1,100. I'm successful, you're not. Success is to each his own first and foremost, but I think we certainly are pressured into thinking that if we make the statement, I'm going to hike 300 miles and I only hike 100, that there will there will be, maybe we should make it this way, there will be people who say, well, you didn't finish your hike. And my perspective will be, I hiked 100 miles. That, that's pretty good. Next year, maybe I'll do 150. Uh, I think we must, I think it is incumbent upon on us to be successful and to become successful individuals to redefine our successes, not so much that they are quantifiable as we're saying with regards to miles and hike or otherwise in life, but that we look at the broader sense of that person. And you, I think you made it a much better statement than I could ever. The person who shows up is the successful one. When you go to do the, your first marathon, to me, it matters not you crossed the finish line. If you showed up and started, that's a huge success. Finishing the race is is like icing on the cake. A byproduct. Absolutely. But yeah. I, I think we sh- I think we would be mindful to give thought to that, reflect upon that, look in the mirror, that wonderful poem, The Man in the Mirror. Yeah. I think if we can reflect upon not giving up on the dreams, maybe accepting they must be modified. Not giving up on the journey, but accepting that it must be modified. But completing the journey is like life. It's going to change every minute of every day. So what you might define as this is what I must do, i.e. this will be a successful week, by Monday at 9 o'clock has already been changed. So if you can accept that change is the constant, then showing up and continuing at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and then 12 o'clock and on through the week, or if you're on the hiking 
You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You may do it at a slower pace, but you continue to do it. That's a successful moment in a person's life. How many times are things that looked like failures at maybe the moment that they were put on our plate? And some of them are true failures. We can have true negative episodes in life. If, if you lose a child or something, man, find the silver lining. That's not like a very nice thing to say, especially if you've never been there. But in a lot of cases, things that I've looked at as failures, quote unquote, have led to some of the most amazing paths. They just dumped me out on whatever uh, tightrope I was walking on and I landed maybe even on a better tightrope. But as you walk this tightrope on this goal, this dream, this pilgrimage, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid? What are you concerned? Maybe we should define it as concerned. And you've kind of spoken about this, but somebody might be listening going, this dude's going to be in the woods with his son for what? how many days? Two, 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 two to, to four? Two to four weeks. Okay. So what, what would you say to that? I think my greatest fear is not showing up. Ah, Yeah, I think that's the great. I don't have a fear of hiking. I don't have a fear of the Appalachian Trail. I don't have a fear of people. I don't have a fear of anything that walks on four legs or slithers on the ground. Those things do not bother me. I have a fear only of myself that I won't show up to do it, whatever it, in this case, the hike. Because we can rationalize ourselves out of, I can't do it that week because of this, or you know, I just... I sprained my ankle or life's got me busy over here. I think my fear is that that would get between me and accomplishing the goal. And the goal for me, again, it's showing up. If I can make 100 miles out of it, God, that's great. If I can make 300 out of it, that's fantastic. If I can make the full 340 or whatever it actually ends up being, that's, that's icing on the cake. There are fears for hikers in general that are real, and that would be the practical side of it. There are bears out there. There are snakes out there. What I'm told, the worst critter in the trail would be skunks. Ticks, maybe? Ticks. Lyme disease. Yeah, Lyme disease. Those little things that you really have to, you do need to give a little thought to that. It would be nice at that point to always know you're hiking in tandem because you must do those checks. Mm -hmm. Um, But those are incidental fears to just showing up. So I'm hoping that those fears that most would practically think about would be things that they could say, but I can, I can work through that before I even get there in the moment. I will have to be at my best, but that's like anything in life. When the bears literally, literally, and I've hiked enough to have bears right around the corner that I walked into, that's when you get to figure out did whatever preparation I thought through literally or figuratively Am I ready for this encounter? And again, life is life is just like that that bend in the road, that bend in the trail where when you come around the corner, there it is. Define it as you like. Appalachian trail wise could be the bear, could be could be a bobcat, could be a big, big, big rattlesnake, which would be what would most likely get my attention the quickest on the trail. And then just how do you handle that? Usually you walk around it. I mean, it's like so many obstacles in life. They're, they're really easy to get around. Just think through what's the, what's the practical, smart, rational thing to do here. The trail belongs to the bear as far as I'm concerned, or belongs to the rattlesnake. Whoever's on it that lives there, it's their trail. I'm in their home. I'm going to respect that and give them all the space they need. And, Very, very, very few people have any issues that are, quote, fearful issues on the Appalachian Trail. Very few. Probably that that cliche phrase of I'd sooner get hit by a bus in my living room, walking out the door, whatever, is probably true. Yeah, I think the the only thing that 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 other phrase, uh, the only thing to fear is fear itself. I think that is probably what probably makes many people who thought about hiking in general or hiking the Appalachian Trail, particularly through hiking, that that might be one of their greatest obstacles. So I, I think if we can not focus on those things that probably will happen, knowing that they probably will happen, 
having a little preparation of what'll what I might do in the situation in that moment. But otherwise, when that moment occurs, just being at my best and being ready to handle that. And like you say, it's not like we we live in a society where you can go to REI and you can have the 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 guy, the the mentor character there who helps you get the exact right bag and the you there's a million options for your sleeping mat and you can get all of it, but we don't get dress rehearsals for many of the massive moments in our lives. Oftentimes we have to make decisions in a split second. I watched a documentary recently and it was profiling kids that have done amazing things. And there was this boy who was a boy scout with his troop, five-year-old falls into the water of a actually in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I think, uh, well, I'm not going to use any names right now, but I, I will. The, an older boy, I think he was 11 at the time. He looked, saw that he was the closest person, and he jumped in the water. And his mom is great. His mom, they're interviewing her, and she says, "You know, the worst part is that I would have told him not to do it, but in that split second, he leapt in, got the kid out, and then later." He he was talked about how he realized the magnitude of it, and he was actually at the documentary screening, and I got to ask him, I said, you know, surely people have talked about how awesome you are and how this was an amazing heroic act, but how do you feel on the inside? You know, after all the, the newspaper clippings and you're, you're a young guy, what? and he said, I know that in that moment... Because I said, most people never even find out this type of choice, what they would do. He said, I know that I will make that choice. And knowing that feels great. And it sounds like that's very similar to you with setting out on this journey. Will you make that choice to jump to jump in? Right. I, and I, I got to admire the story. Absolutely. Again, I go back to it's You just got to show up. Got to show up. Take it. Take it as it hits you. Be proud of yourself. I think that's one thing that uh, certainly we can have too much pride in ourselves. But for me, in this uh, journey, as you like to refer to it, for me, showing up will be that defining moment of success. It will in itself be completion. Everything else will be just a bonus. You know, if my son makes it, that's a bonus. If we complete the full 340-mile trek from Springer Mountain, Georgia, to East Tennessee State University, where he'll be attending this fall, bonus. Just getting there is just going to be a great defining moment. Like the young man, it is, it is, it is very rare that you have those opportunities. Certainly, my showing up for a hike on the trail pales in comparison to a 13- or 14-year-old saving someone's life. But it is still a moment that will be special for me, and I hope for those that touch me and for those whom I'm able to touch during that journey and before and after and as life continues to roll. You're setting out on this, and you know there's huge question marks. That's part of what makes this such a worthy, and because of this tension of not knowing how this is going to go, that's part of what makes it a dragon to slay, right? That's part of what makes it a worthy cause to show up for. So answer this. I'm going to offer multiple ways. You can answer this however you want. What do you think you're going to be wrong about from where you're sitting? What misconceptions do you think, which is a strange, almost double negative, or what do you think you're going to look like at, on the other side of this you can go physically, but you can also go, what attributes do you think you will gain? Or what do you think you will have been wrong about? You can answer all of that because you and I might sit down again for a part two when this is over, if you would like to. Sure. sure. So, Great question. Well, I think the obvious, uh, first to the physical attributes is I will have a body that has been challenged. I'm sure I will have literally and figuratively cuts and bruises. I will probably be a leaner, meaner fighting machine, to use that mm -hmm. wonderful cliche phrase, as a result of it. I'm told that uh, within the first two to four weeks, most people lose somewhere between 10 and 20 pounds. And that's a plateau point as well. But obviously, I will, in fact, 
uh, and given that I'm, uh, I'll use the word prosperous <laughs> to define my midsection, <laughs> I, I will likely have that opportunity to lose. I think the 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 bigger story would be those things that aren't the physical challenge uh, changes that will take place. I think a renewed confidence in looking at a quest and completing the quest. Uh, I think conquering the quest would be a little over the top, but there might be those who, and certainly those who through hike, I would give them full credit for saying you conquered an incredible quest. Uh, for my short hike, I don't, not quite sure it deserves the word conquering, but that ability to look in the mirror and say, I, I did it. That self-satisfaction, that perspective that others might have, whether it's purely for knowledge of I'm considering something, hiking or otherwise, what are your thoughts? To become a resource, as I like to think I am for what I do otherwise in life, to help people with how I worked through whatever it is that I worked through, whether that's the physical preparation, all the education that I have so far and will continue to receive prior to starting the quest, particularly, for instance, one example that I, I did mention earlier is all of the equipment that you kind of alluded right. to that. You can walk in a store and there is just an infinite supply of things. Uh, in fact, I will refer to them as stuff. And the reason I'll use stuff is stuff is an acronym. Some know the acronym, but otherwise those who don't, stuff actually stands for, now this is per me anyway, <laughs> superfluous things under feet forever. <laughs> so anyone listening to this, all they have to do is look around wherever they are. And they're going to see stuff, some of which they value highly, and they should. Some of which they'll look at and they'll say, no, why do I have that? What, when did I get that? And what is it for? And why do I need it? Well, that becomes very relevant to the hiker. There are many books, some written by those who've hiked many, many miles, about stuff. The great stories that, that are relevant to my hike anyway are looking at really nice, really nice equipment. And hiking is not unlike bicycling. For those who are even remotely familiar with bicycling, a really good bike is not $250. It's ten or $20,000. In hiking, a really good stove and a really good sleeping bag and a really good tent, and I can go on and on. You can walk out the front door of any really good store that wants you to have the best equipment, maybe not necessarily the best experience, but the best equipment, and have dropped $5,000 easily. And you will have equipment that is revered by all who hike. But you'll also have equipment that probably within the first two to three days, you're trying to shed yourself of that equipment because you quickly realize, as nice as that is, I don't need that. Hmm. And then it becomes stuff. It's that stuff. It's in my backpack. I brought it just in case. And you realize just in case is if a hurricane hits me on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> yeah. Oh, zombie apocalypse. I'm, I'm really, really, that's right, the zombie apocalypse. But if the hurricane hits me, oh, I'm, real, I'm a long way from any hurricane potential threat. I'm probably not going to use that piece of stuff. So I think that would be something that I will learn because even as I – pare down that which I plan to take with me on the hike, I'm sure I will have lots of stuff. And I will, in those moments, think through, is it $200? And because it's $200, I want to keep that stuff? Or will I be wise and realize it's now baggage in the grander scheme of life, literally or figuratively? It's time for me to shed that stuff and get on with the, the next day of the hike, the next day of life. And what could be a better magnifying glass than literally operating as a turtle who is carrying a house, a life on their back? And all of us can think about all the stuff, as you said, that we have. And, and I can't wait to, to hear what what you look like and sound like after you've gone on this quest. One final question. What food are you most looking forward to when you've had a range of days of just eating freeze-dried or Lipton noodles and you <laughs> enter a town or a situation? What, what do you imagine, at least at this point, is going to be the most luxurious? Well, that's a 
It could just go anywhere with that, right? Because <laughs> I can think of like probably after the second day, anything that someone else prepares. Right. Uh, after two weeks, probably I will have become more selective because I will have adjusted to the trail. So there's not, that's a great question. I think after the journey, I'd say anything my mother cooks would be something that would be just wonderful. I think second day in, probably a great American staple, just a piece of pizza. Oh, something yeah. that's real simple, full of carbs, which really we should eat few of, just look at us. But at that moment, the nice thing about the Appalachian Trail is I'm going to burn four to 6,000 calories a day so I can eat the whole pizza and have no remorse whatsoever. And still be at a, a loss. It's still You'll still owe calories that's right. that's after right. that. That's right. And that's one of the great beauties. When, when you have expended that much energy, the massive quantities of salt, Fat and oil are things that your body says, you know what, man, we're kind of, we're lacking those right yeah, now. Give me just a little just, more of that that's right. stuff. That's right. Yeah. If folks want to reach out to you, we can, however you want to do that. If, if folks actually would be interested in having their finances advised by you, if they would like to learn more about beekeeping or perhaps canoeing or after you're done with this adventure, how to hike, do you want to offer a way for people to get in touch with you? Anyone is always welcome to call me. They can go to my website. I do have 21st century tools. You couldn't really ask me how to utilize them thoroughly because that is not my gift set, but you could call me. My email is G, my first name being Jeffrey, last name Herring, so G Herring at insuringyourmoney.com. Thank you so much for doing this. What a privilege to be here. Thank you. Glad glad to do it. And we wish you great luck Thank on you. your hero's I'm journey. I'm sure I will need luck and a little more, maybe even some peanut butter. <laughs> well, probably lots of that. <laughs> Take care. Thank you guys for listening. Y'all have a great day wherever you are. Thanks so much for listening. I think the coolest part of that episode to me was just his insistence on the value of the action of just showing up of just literally getting on the path. That lesson is so echoed by the greats, by the great philosophers, athletes, performers, humanitarian people. Often it really is about showing up, about being willing to get into that space of discomfort, which is is just seems to be what a lot of this is about is seeking journeys that will make us better that often do require a level of discomfort to get through. So I wish him great luck on that path. And perhaps we will sit down for a part two where we discuss what he learned from it. Each week I am offering very short five minute or less videos, which I'd call key takeaways from a book in less than five minutes where I dig into something that I have read or something that I'm currently reading that has just a little pearl of wisdom that I have found just deeply practical and useful in my life. And if you want to check that out, you can go to epicordinarylives.com and there is a tab called My Other Work and, and that's an area where you can check out those videos. It will link to the YouTube page of Epic Ordinary Lives. Thanks again for listening. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are, and I will be back next Tuesday with another conversation with an ordinary person who is living an epic life. So until then, have a good one.